Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this episode, we have Championship Crew Chief Rick Jones to talk about drag racing, pro stock, and more. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. And we also take a fun look back at the 2020 pro stock season. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace! This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hey everybody, I'm Brian Loans, your host here in the NHRA Insider Podcast, and this would be our second to last episode of the 2020 calendar year, and that is probably reason to celebrate for everybody. Not that things are going to immediately change for 2021, but uh, it will be good psychologically, I suppose, to stop having to think about what has been just a topsy-turvy year in every respect. We are going to have Rick Jones on as our guest today. I'm really excited to talk to Rick, obviously a multi-time uh, pro stock crew chief world champion, a race in his own right, a chassis builder who has built championship cars uh, up, down, and sideways. He has built drag week cars. He has built pro modifieds, pro stock cars. Uh, you name it, he has built it. And I want to talk to him a lot about kind of his evolution in the sport of drag racing, the technology that he has been involved in evolving in drag racing, his relationship with Erica Enders, his relationship with Elite Motorsports, and how this combination has brought forth championship after championship after championship. It is um, an interesting thing. I think next episode will be our full-on kind of look back over 2020, and we've been doing it in kind of a steady fashion. I have a fun musical look back over the 2020 Pro Stock season to come after our interview here with Rick Jones, as I've been doing for our other categories. Next week, we'll round it out with the Top Fuel Season musical review as well, but you know, when I look back over, you know, the conversations we've had over the course of this year, the things we've talked about, the people we have talked to, it is, um, it's interesting in some ways. It's been a way, uh, specifically for those of us uh, who work for the NHRA and the in the kind of media content side of things, it's been a way for us to really try to kind of stretch our legs a little bit um, when we were faced with a period of uh, really complete uncertainty following the cancellation or the rescheduling of the Gator Nationals back in March until we started racing in in July. There was initially a lot of questions as to what are we going to do? What are we going to talk about? What are we going to show people? What are we going to tell people? And those questions were answered, I think, in a very creative and interesting way. I think we really spent a lot of time uh, working on fun concepts and ideas. Some of them were good. Some of them weren't. I mean, that's just the way things go when you when you try new things. Um, but overall, I think we've come out of that. Uh, we came out of that period um, with a obviously a kind of a small number of people working on all this stuff. We came out of it with an understanding that um, we can be more creative than we had been in the past, and we will continue to be more creative in the future. Whether it's the guests we have on this podcast, whether it's the people we're talking to week in and week out for NHRA.com, whether it's what the staff of National Dragster is producing, how they're looking at drag racing, both inside and outside the NHRA, um, it really has been a year for um, kind of expanding our horizons in so many ways. And I think along with that has come a greater appreciation of, uh, of the sport, of the people involved, and really of the, uh, the sacrifice and commitment that people have put forth to, uh, to race at whatever level they can. You know, it's been great talking to the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series champions on Skype. I hope you've been watching those interviews on NHRA's social media, on NHRA.com and across all those platforms because it is fantastic insight when, when you talk to uh, the Jody Langs of the world, when you talk to Brian Presler, you talk to Doug Gordon, you talk to um, Brian Warner, the guy who was the, pro, the Superstock World Champion. You know, these are the people that really have... 
um, committed themselves and, and the, the amount of work and time they put in, uh, mostly of their own volition. It's, uh, it's a pretty amazing thing, and it's uh, very rewarding to hear about what these championships mean in a year where we didn't know if we were going to have championships, we didn't know how they were going to be decided, and, and all that became um, a responsibility of the racing administration within NHRA. And and frankly, you know, it's tough to argue against what they did. It's tough to say that anybody involved in this thing did a bad job because of the fact that, yes, we had a season on the professional level, but more importantly than that, and I say that not um, lightly. It is far more importantly than that. We had championships decided on the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series level. And what you're going to see going forward into 2021 is you're going to see an increased focus, uh, consciously increased focus by the NHRA on the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series and its value in the sport and the hierarchy in the place of drag racing and, and of this kind of... Um, tapestry of this sport. I think it's going to be very welcome. I know that a lot of you that listen to the NHRA Insider uh, are sportsman drag racing fans or sportsman drag racers yourself. And, you know, I can tell you just in a general sense, I've been involved in a lot of conversations, phone calls and planning for 2021. And you're going to see um, perhaps uh, more kind of conscious effort on behalf of everybody involved in NHRA to continue to highlight in an even larger scale than we have been the Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series. So, uh, it's going to be great. Um, it is going to be, as we all know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, some breaking news over the course of the last week. Uh, we talked about, we talked to Lyle Barnett last week, and if you've not listened to that episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Uh, some new rules-related news for the E3 Spark Plugs Pro Modified series presented by j Service in the fact that auto shifters were uh, banned from the category. And for those of you that aren't aware... The vast majority of these cars, if not all of them, uh, on the racetrack now use uh, an automatic style transmission and a torque converter. There are very few, and, and a couple of us were on uh, email the other day going trying to rack our brain to figure out if anybody was still actually using a traditional clutch anymore in the E3 spark plug series, and we couldn't come up with a single car. So the effect of that is um, you have a, a torque converter driven automatic style transmission. Now, some of the guys, there are still a couple of uh, Lenkos floating around out there, but the majority of, of racers are using a traditional automatic-style transmission. It looks like a Turbo 400 like you'd find in a you know in a high-performance streetcar, obviously built to the hilt. I mean, we're talking billet everything, and, and they're incredible pieces. What comes with that is uh, the ability to use an automatic shifter, a shifter that you don't have to touch, a shifter that works on a timer. And so um, what that has done... In some respect, the old school guys say it's taken the driver out of the game. It's made the driver more of a passenger because, for instance, in a pro stock car, if you don't make the shifts correctly, if you're early or late, uh, you, the run's not going to be good. You know, you're, you're going to cost yourself performance. You're going to cost yourself elapsed time. And ultimately, you're probably going to cost yourself a round victory or even a race win if it happens in the final. Others would argue that uh, you're actually making the cars less safe in some respect because of the fact that uh, now the driver has to be doing something else. He's, he's going to be concentrating. She's going to be concentrating on shifting the car as well as trying to steer this 3,000-horsepower car, which, as we continue to see year after year, uh, wants to actively harm the person driving it. Uh, we see these cars do anything but want to go straight, even still with the incredible chassis advancements and everything we've had. It is still an immense amount of power going definitely down to these big tires, and the drivers are having to fight them down the racetrack. 
So no, you are not going to see somebody pulling Lenko levers again. You're not going to see a tower of Lenko buttons, but you are going to see drivers uh, like an alcohol funny car style uh, with buttons on the steering wheel shifting that way. Doesn't seem like a big deal, but it actually is because it, it goes back to that pro stock point. It is less about the physical action of the driver having to you know hit a shift handle or grab a lever. Neither of those things will be happening. It is more about the driver not being able to rely on electronics to make the run right. There's a safety aspect as well that was brought up. Uh, we have seen it happen in, in several occasions where a car will be in tire shake in the, uh, in the lower gear, and then that automatic shifter doesn't care if the car is shaking the tires or not. It is time to go off at a certain point, so that car will shift into the next gear, and we take a situation that was bad with a little bit of wheel speed, we move the transmission to the next gear, the wheel speed increases by a ton, and that tire shake gets very, very bad. The car can shoot across the racetrack and crash, and we've seen that happen on multiple occasions. This does give the driver the ability to remedy that situation perhaps a little bit better than they would have in the past, meaning uh, now a driver can feel the shake coming on and short shift a gear. Now the driver can hang a little bit longer in a gear before hitting the next gear if he doesn't like or she doesn't like what they're feeling through the seat of their pants. So again, seems like a small change in some respects. Oh, the guys and girls going to be hitting a button on the steering wheel, but the, the net result is that now we have a driver that has to actuate those shifts, that has to hit the shift points, that has to get the job done right. Uh, big news in the top fuel category. Josh Hart announces officially announced his move to top fuel eliminator. Um, he has sold or is attempting to sell his A fuel operation. He has bought the necessary parts and pieces to go top fuel racing. He said in his press release this week that we're talking about or he's talking about a 12 to 14 race effort. Depending on how things go, could be could be more than that if things go very well. We have not heard a crew chief announced. We have not heard a crew announced. And there is uh, obviously some great talent out there for grabs uh, at the moment. There's a lot of free agents at, uh, at this time in NHRA drag racing. And uh, Josh Hart, uh, depending on what his budgetary restraints are, depending on what his goals are for 2021, may be able to pick up some of that talent. Josh was a great A-Fuel racer, of course, uh, multi-time U.S. Nationals winner. The guy um, really did accomplish a lot in an A-Fuel dragster and showed how good he is as a driver. Uh, has a very successful business in Florida and uh, will be using that business to, uh, in my understanding, to to fund his top fuel racing operation. So um, cannot wait to see him in a top fuel car. I think it is a really cool thing that we're adding a top fuel car for the majority of the season uh, as it stands if his plan comes to fruition. And uh, Josh is going to be a great hardcore member of that top fuel racing uh, fraternity right now. It's going to be cool. Uh, other news has been coming out, trickling out, if you will, from different teams. Had some news of uh, new associate sponsorships being lined up by some of the different teams. I understand there is a major sponsor renewal coming from one of the big three, if you will, the Force Coletta DSR camp. I'm not going to go down the road of who and when and what, but I understand there is a major sponsor renewal coming out of one of those three camps in the near future, probably to be announced after the first of the year. So, you know, 2021, no doubt about it, is going to be a struggle on some levels. I think it's going to be something that we're going to gauge, we're going to watch, we're going to see what happens over the next couple of months. NHRA has been forthright in saying that the schedule as printed may change if it needs to change. I think when we look at Pomona, California in April, and I say this without knowing any intention with any plan, I think we look at California, we look at uh, kind of what their state is, how their state is operating in terms of restrictions and things like that. It would seem to me that Pomona in April, the more we inch closer to April, may be a, uh, may be a variable. So we'll all be keeping our... Um, 
kind of eyes open on that. We'll all be watching the, the trade winds as they blow. And thankfully, of course, vaccines being shipped out now. Word as I'm making this podcast is the, the second uh, Moderna vaccine will be approved later this week. So the um, the swiftness of that distribution, I think, will certainly have some effect on uh, on where we go when we go there. But I'm excited. We are inside of 90 days, getting closer to the length of what a normal offseason would be. Remember, it has typically been 78 days from the time we leave the World Finals in Pomona until the time we come back to the Winter Nationals in Pomona. Obviously, we're not going back to the Winter Nationals in Pomona this year. We're going to be starting the season at the Gator Nationals in March. But we are creeping toward that, uh, what I would call kind of a milestone number of days, which is 78. It's exciting for people like me and you who are fans. Uh, It may be frightening for teams that are still working on sponsorship, still working on trying to get their stuff locked in together for the 2021 season. But time marches on, and we'll find out over the next coming weeks who gets the job done and who uh, is able to uh, kind of move their program ahead for 2021. I am excited. I know you are. And uh, I know one guy who's excited as well, and that is Rick Jones. We're going to catch up with Rick right now. He's the first guest on this NHRA Insider episode. Rick Jones, how you doing, man? All right, so I'd like to welcome my first guest onto this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. You know him, you love him. He's a multi-time Pro Stock Crew Chief World Champion. His name is Rick Jones. Rick, how you doing, man? Good, Brian. How you doing? Doing pretty well. You know, I wanted to catch up with you. Obviously, we've we've caught up with a lot of racers and drivers after the season, and um, you know, this is for you another championship year. And I guess I want to start kind of uh, start at the beginning of this season because, like everybody else. We all went to Pomona, we all went to Phoenix, and then it all kind of went to crap. So <laughs> I guess coming out of Phoenix, you guys won a race, and I'm sure you were riding pretty high. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, sometimes I can't remember so well, but I, I think if I remember, I Jug won Pomona, yep. and then Erica won Phoenix, and we ran extremely well. And, you know, our, the elite cars were just, just doing very well. We ended last season you know, winning a lot of races, winning the championship with Erica and yeah, fin- finishing number two and then go to, um, go to Pomona, run very well, win the race, go to Phoenix, do the same thing, you know, and then we go to the Orlando. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's right too. Race. Yep. Yeah, and, you know, take away the hundred thousand there, you know, it's like, wow, this is cool. And that's just when that stuff started. Right. <laughs> and, and it's like, how real is it? And what's going on and all that. So, um, we, we actually, Ricky and I are on a plane to go to Gainesville, right. We fly through Charlotte and we're sitting there having lunch and Matt Hagen walks in he sits down and He's at a table next to us, and it's like, man, this stuff's crazy. And it's like, yeah, I don't, should we be going, or what's going on? <laughs> you know? And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> we leave, and we walk to the gate, and he's on the same flight. He comes walking up, and he is, man, Megan Schumacher just sent me a text. This deal's canceled. I said, what? And I called Richard, and he's already at the track. He said, yeah, they canceled. It's done. So Ricky and I, we run to an American counter, get another flight, and go back home. And then it was that's when the craziness just really started. And it was um, um, definitely during time off, during COVID, you can't say it's enjoyable, but it's just different. You know, we got yeah. it. Life was different. And, you know, then we go back racing again, and you worry about you lost your mojo, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and You I mean- know, it's like, can, can we come out? And do well, you know, how how hard was KB working? You know, how much was they testing? How, you know, are we still going to be good? You know, and um, 
we know that earlier this year that they had a problem and they wasn't running so well. We, we knew that they would fix it and come back, and they did. You know, so they came to Orlando, ran strong, and um, so we knew it was going to be a big, you know, fight the rest of the year. Yeah, you know, one of the things I want to talk to you about, uh, along with the the stuff on the racetrack, is the stuff away from the racetrack. Obviously, you have a highly successful uh, chassis business, race car builder, and I'm wondering. You know, because pretty much everybody I've talked to in the industry has said, you know, during the downtime, like things didn't really slow down away from the racetrack in terms of guys that sell parts, people that fabricate things and make things. I mean, you got new cars rolling out of the shop right now. I just saw the Caruso family's new car that they picked up. And I'm assuming those things were in process during the time away from the racetrack, right? Absolutely. You know, uh, they ordered that thing, you know, even after COVID started. And it, um, you know, the first, honestly, in business wise, first week or so you know everything slowed down and everybody did yeah. you know everybody's like wow what's going on you know what i mean yep and after that it just went straight up i mean it just gangbusters i mean we're selling tons of parts and we're sold on cars for new car builds for over a year right? wow and 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 just so busy busier we have ever had been and we just figured it out that people's like can't go to the movies. You can't go bowling. You can't do this. You can't do that. So I must have home work on my race car. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they're doing. And, and ordering parts and getting the car ready. Hopefully for uh, our, you know, normal year. Hopefully in 2021. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And you know what's fascinating to me is um, obviously you're a guy who is a championship crew chief. You're a guy who is also a world renowned car builder. And I know a lot of guys who are world-renowned car builders that aren't necessarily great crew chiefs. And I know a guys I know guys who are great crew chiefs and not really well-known car builders or known for building cars. So, what makes it different for you or your approach where you are really good at both? Well, you know, um, we feel that doing both makes makes you better at both of those, right? So. When you know the inside and outs, and what makes us, gives us a little advantage on the racing side of it is that we build the cars here, we design them, yeah. we're able to get ideas, you know, run ideas between, you know, Ricky, my son, Mark Ingersoll, the, one of the other crew chiefs on the team, and we all, you know, talk about stuff and go over ideas, and, and we also learn from our other customers and build mod and stuff, and then we go back and we, we design and build stuff here, right? We have our own you know, we do all of our own CAD and engineering in-house here and have our own water jet CNC machines and, and great fabricators, and we build everything here. And then take that, we can actually put it on Erica's car and take it down the track and see how we like it, you know. Then we refine it, and then we can actually take it to, and, and market it and sell it to, to people. And that's something that if you're a chassis builder and you don't race, you can't get that experience. You're relying on somebody else to give you that information so we rely on ourselves and i think that's a huge advantage oh yeah i mean definitely because like you said and especially the fact that it's all being generated in-house so you want to make tweaks and changes you don't have to wait on a supplier you can actually make them you know right there almost real time yes sir so you know when we talk about pro stock drag racing we talk about so much in the chassis and then the chassis setup and you know obviously teams like elite motorsports teams like kb racing are always in the ballpark you know horsepower wise and it really comes down to the efficient use of that horsepower through the chassis and since you have been involved in pro stock drag racing how much and i know there's subtle changes but how much has the chassis changed and really how much has the philosophy of setting one of these cars up changed over the years well 
You know, a lot, actually. Um, it's phenomenal. And if people is not on the inside to see what's going on, but, you know, our team, uh, elite with Richard Freeman, you know, at the head of it, we, um, man, we don't stop. Their engine shop does not stop. Uh, the car side of it, it never stops. You know, we're always trying to think of stuff, trying stuff, and we're doing stuff this winter, you know, trying new stuff, developing stuff, and that we can take and we go test, you know, try to make it better, you know, and so it, it, it never, it never ends and it can't, you know, that's how it's evolved. Pro Slack has evolved from 1970 yeah. right, to 2020 because it's it just, you think of more stuff and it's things that you can do that to make the cars better. And we have evolved our chassis program a lot, a lot in the last, let's say three years and Pro Stock side of it. Um, had to make some changes and stuff to make the cars better. And what we did, you know, immediately helped and, and started winning championships again with all, with all that new changes that we've made. And we that stuff was exclusively, you know, used on Jags and Erica's car and Richard's Mustang that he has. And, and uh, so now, you know, Aaron Stanfield, that shows he goes out and gets a brand new build we have. And I think the first race may be runner-up and the second Gracie won, so um, if my facts are correct, yeah, so I, I think, mean, I think he's done, are. yeah, and, and I think he's done extremely well with that, and that shows, you know, the homework that we do and the, how how good the, the team elite is on, you know, their engine program and the tuning, and um, so as Mark Ingersoll and Enrique and I, we we've had a relationship. You know, I worked with Mark and built cars for him when he was with Alan Johnson and. And even back with Nick Ends and stuff years and years ago. So we've had a long relationship. And Mark tried and tested all of our stuff before Ricky and I raced the Nature Post on. And, and so we've had a long, you know, road uh, of trying new stuff. And sometimes it don't work, you know. But, but you know, at least you try and get some ideas. And, and, uh, and that's the fun part about it, actually. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, you know, you go right down the line. The stuff that doesn't work, I, I would guess. And I talked to Dale Armstrong years ago before he passed, and he said, "Listen, you know," he said, "all this stuff that I tried over the years that failed." He goes, "It ultimately helped me go in the right direction." He said, "You know, it's it's." He said, "It's great when you were able to come up with something and have it work on the first shot out." He said, "And it's frustrating when you are trying things that are that are not working, but ultimately, in the end, he said, the stuff that doesn't work, the longer you chip away at it and figure out what the actual problem is, the better off you are in the end." Absolutely. We, we've had times that we've designed and, and tried things, taken the track, and nothing worked, right? Yeah. And that particular day, just nothing worked, you know? And and you think that's a complete waste of time, and it's not, because that gives you the information of maybe, oh, instead of doing that, we need to do something different or go a different direction, you know? Or you come and change this, and then the time you go back and try it again, all of a sudden it does work because you made another change to try to underwrite them, you know? So it's, it's just all, you know, just R&D, man. You just got to keep trying and trying and trying. Otherwise you just stay in the same spot and everybody goes around you. Yeah. That, and, uh, and that has happened over the years. We've seen that. We've seen, we've seen teams get there to a point and then not be able to push themselves ahead, which is clearly uh, not the story for you guys. You know, you mentioned very data driven approach, of course, the engineering, the stuff that you can do in house. There is an element of this, a human element of it that comes in a relationship between you and your driver. And that's of course, Erica. And I know how much she values that relationship. And I know you must, too and what makes this work so well between the two of you 
Well, <clears throat> you know, between me and Erica, and of course, I'm Mark Ingersoll and Ricky, you know. But, yes. Um, but Erica and I <clears throat> have a super close relationship that over the years, you know, she she gives great feedback. So usually before we know that there's something wrong, she already knows. Okay. And she'll say it on the radio. When she gets back, she'll say, I heard something or I just don't, I just don't feel right, you know. She can feel the vibration in the shifter in her hand, you know, something's just not quite right, you know. And and so she has a great feeling, of course, after making 10,000 runs in a post-life car, <laughs> you know, hopefully we can catch on to that. But she's really good at that. And which, one thing she's just phenomenal at is, hey, making very few mistakes. Yeah. And coming down to, and that's why she's, I think, won a lot and done well championships because when it comes down to crunch time, she's the one you know, take, that you want to give her the ball, you know. So she don't mess up much, uh, hardly ever. And so she's a great driver, great input. And when she does mess up, she absolutely is very upset and mad. And that's what makes her have good drive of wanting to go out and not do that again, you know, because we all mess up. You know, every runner, we mess up on this or that. And she very rarely does. When she does, she's very upset. And uh, we work together very closely on her reaction times. Um, making adjustments every run and that's the fun part and um, she's man she's she is a robot in that car she's she's awesome yeah it's it's like you mentioned Jaggy you mentioned her I mean there's there's a small number of people in that group that are so in tune with what they're doing in that race car that like you said they you, they go back you guys can make this the very very subtle adjustments to the clutch or whatever you guys want to linkage adjustments, if you will. Yep. And, yep. uh, and it'll deliver exactly what they think it will, which to me is unreal. I mean, I, I bracket race for five years with my dad and won uh, as many rounds as of years I raced. <laughs> so yep. I had zero talent and ability for it. And it's just to, to see somebody that is able to translate their own physiology into the race car and have you guys be able to set it up that way and then have it do what you think it's going to do is beyond unbelievable. Well, you know, that's data. Right, so Ricky, my son, he's the king of data. It's unbelievable what he can do, and 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 we're the same way on on a lot of things. But you know the the clutch linkage and her adjustments. We know every adjustment that we have, and we have refined all of our clutch linkage and our fork and all that stuff over the years. That we have adjustments that she can, you know, you know, uh, pick up or um, or lose. Uh, five thousands in reaction time or a hundredth or you know so we have all of these adjustments we can make if she's if she's really on it on that day or she's a little slow or and every track's a little different some tracks are um you know depends on the rollout and stuff it can change a little bit so she can make all those adjustments that we can talk about and make the adjustments that to get her to be on time and, and our and our goal with her to be you know always you know, 20 or better, you know, and on the race day, honestly, we're trying to be in that 15 range. So we go from high double O's to 15, 16 range with her on race day, which is phenomenal. And I think if again, here goes my memory again, but in 2015, uh, if I remember right, maybe her reaction time for the countdown was around 16. Yeah. Her average yes, reaction that's time. accurate. Yep. And, I mean that's unbelievable. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's just crazy that somebody can do that. That that's how consistent she is. But and and her linkage is not in the same spot every time you get there. 
you got to make changes to the to the car as the track changes, as the daylight changes, yeah. as you know. So as as she changes, so same thing with the race car. You know, you just don't roll the cars out and go from one track to another without making a lot of changes. Um, so we so you just make changes and 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 um, and dial it in, you know, and uh, so she's really good at that. You know, I think a lot of people may you know, have forgotten that, uh, your son, Ricky, uh, was no slouch behind the wheel either. And, uh, I think I'd have to guess that, and obviously you're a racer as well. So, you know, I think that also plays into it. And, um, you know, as far as how Ricky approaches his job, how much does his own driving career kind of play into that? How much does that help him as far as understanding what he's trying to do with the cars he's overseeing over there? Well, I think it, it helps you as your tuner. Uh, when you when you have driven them, so you do understand what it's like, you know. So he has driven them, um, and he understands. And and uh, as sometimes Erica goes to him, yeah, you know, it's like, hey, Ricky, what do you think about this? Because you know she knows that he was really good at reaction times, and he did the same thing. I mean, we worked together and developing a lot of this linkage, and and we find it even more with Erica, but uh, of making changes and and. Um, uh, again, he he was a phenomenal driver. Um, a lot of times, it led to reaction times. You know, back when he drove, you know, for the year um, or close to leading it. And so he 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 was really good. And I was really proud of him. You know, and a lot of times I wish he could have kept driving, but you know, we had a different way to go. You know, and and we don't regret it. You know that we are we are able to be on the tuning side of it, and 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 to come back from. Our first, you know, win that Ricky won for Elite Motorsports was, you know, the the World Finals in '13, and then um, to go out and to I'm not sure how many races we won. It's thirty something now. Yeah, rallies, two K and Ns, and four championships. You know, in the last eight eight seasons, um, it's just unbelievable. You know, I, I have to pinch myself that that, that really has happened. You know. <laughs> Well, it certainly has happened, and obviously it's happened because of the collective effort of the whole team, and, and so much Absolutely. of it has come on the technical side, so it's amazing. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about Pro Modified because um, obviously you build a lot of Pro Modified cars, and um, dare I say they've kind of become your calling card now. And again, I mentioned the Caruso family car that uh, that Joe Caruso made a cool video on this week that uh, debuted. They're going to be racing the wheels off of that car as they have been. How crazy is that category now? Because I was just at the Snowbird Outlaw Nationals a couple weeks ago. I saw five different power adder combinations qualifying within about a tenth of each other, number one to 16. And that class is, in in some ways, almost becoming like just a a real kind of hairy-chested version of pro stock, right? It's insane. Yeah, you know, um, some things are crazy. Uh, That's for sure. (laughs) Different power adders, different weights. It's it's really kind of hard to keep up with. He's, even as a builder, it's like, what's that car got away again? You know, because <laughs> NHRA is, you know, quite often making real changes, and, and their eyes are trying to keep the parity as even as they can. You know, and as the power charger has come on, and that's going to be a completely different thing. I think you're going to see more of those this yeah. year. You know. Uh, this, for this next season, and so a lot of things is changing now. This new deal that the driver has to actually perform the shifts it's pretty cool in, in my eyes I, I get it you know and some of the guys are real good with it maybe and some of them aren't probably but um 
I think it's pretty cool that you know that, that you can shift your own car going yes. down the racetrack. And, I agree. And certainly the the automatic cars and there's a lot of those are you know pretty easy to shift. But uh, I don't drive one, so I'm not going to say that. I know <laughs> a lot of guys want two hands on the wheels because. <laughs> Or like uh, riding a bucking bronco sometimes, and you you want to hang on and and keep it in the groove, you know. So it's a total fight. Those things are are like uh, funny cars were yeah, fifteen years ago, something like that. Yeah, so I think that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, and and they're probably fairly close to the same ET as they was running back then. <laughs> I don't know exactly how many years ago, but I mean to go out there and run five sixties, five seventies, over two fifty. Yeah. So these things are just like an old funny car and erratic, and you never know what they're going to do. Um, so we enjoy building those things, and um, a lot of our tuning philosophy from ProStock does go over to that class. You know, obviously. Yeah, so, it's uh, it's an amazing thing, and and when we talk about the the year kind of backlog that you guys are working on there at, at Rick Jones Race Cars, are we talking about primarily or a majority of those being pro mod cars? I guess what's the what's the kind of the main uh, customer interest these days for you? Um, quite a few of them are, are, are pro mods and some pro stocks. Um, Mark Stock Seth, he's real heavy involved with Elite, you know. So between you know he he's bought a couple new cars and and build those for him and you know that he builds for the and and that's his association with elite he yes. helps on that that side and his sponsorship and richard's always got cars in the work we just built them a new 67 mustang pro mod car that you'll see out here fairly soon um when the season starts so yeah we're always building pro mods and, and nitrous cars and some top sportsman cars and, and pro stock that's the majority of the stuff we do and we're very fortunate we got a really good customer clientele and we try very hard to get our stuff done when we're supposed to and um so we're very fortunate in the in the world that i see on tv that you know some businesses are struggling to survive and and um we're doing very well and we're lucky to have really great employees um that work hard here that they get all this stuff done and and uh it's crazy here. We're just, um, it's all we can handle right now, honestly. So just two more questions before I let you get back to work to uh, keep up the, <laughs> to keep the backlog work moving. Um, the first question is, you know, one of the things I really like about you, and we talk about a lot of different stuff, is the fact that you're a real fan of the entire side of the, the whole sport, really. We talk about drag week all the time. We talk about radial tire yeah. drag racing. And it to me, it's cool because I think some guys lose that. I think, you know, I talk to guys who just are really tunnel vision on the one thing that they do, and they lose sight of everything else that goes on. So um, I guess talk to me a little bit about the fact that you still love this sport beyond simply tuning a pro stock car. Yeah, you know, so I started back in the late 70s and early 80s, you know, with my own car, that 69 Camaro with a, um, you know, had a four-speed and a five-speed. I was always the clutch guy, you know, and I just loved doing that. And I had more passion, even a little bit, as much passion as put that way, uh, to work on my car every winter and have a project and tear it apart and back half it or you know, install a four link or whatever it was, you know, front half the car. So every year I did something different to it to make it better. And then someday, I, well, that one day, I can probably like 1981 or so, I was like, man, I wonder if I can do this for a living, really, you know. And I was just daydreaming, you know, and, um, you know, I actually did. You know, I, people saw my work and I started doing work with other people. 
but I've never lost that. I, I have a local track here at Cordova, Illinois, and I still love going there. I get a couple of my own personal hot rods that I have, and I got my old 69 back about four years ago when we went through it. And, and uh, so we, as a family, we really enjoy just taking that thing and going, and even if it's not racing, just going and making – you know, testing tune and going down the track and um, just being a regular everyday guy, you know what I mean? Because I, I don't go anywhere. It's like, hey, look at me, you know, full-time world champion. I, I don't care about any of that. I just like going and having fun and seeing people out there having fun with their cars and the, the grassroots part of the part of the deal. And that's cool. And that's what, that's what drag racing really is. There's so many cool classes, like you said, yeah. you know, drag week, which is, pretty cool deal you know and, and and all the radio races and man there's just so much no prep whatever you there's just so many different yeah. avenues if you can't find something you know <laughs> right in, in drag racing that's not for you it's like you know i don't know if you have a pulse yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah exactly because there's just so many cool things you can do and and on local races i mean they got all these little streetcar shootout deals and index classes my own track here at Cordova has the river redemption they call it and they got index pro, heads up pro tree eighth mile like a 470 550 different classes you know that you can go out and have a taste of that pro light racing you know and just with an index and it's pretty cool you know that there's so much stuff that you can be involved with anymore it is really cool, and I guess the last question I want to ask is something you brought up. He's, you know, when that guy in 1981 that was daydreaming as he was wrenching on his own car, thinking about whether he could make it, you know, make this a living for himself. I'm guessing that guy was thinking, okay, uh, the plan is let's do this so I can feed my family and pay my mortgage. I'm not sure that guy in '81 thought I'm going to be a four-time pro stock world champion. Is that accurate? That's accurate. I had no idea, and, and now I don't want to tell you that. I live four hours um, from from Indy, right? And I went to the U.S. Nationals every year. My my sister and my brother-in-law at the time, back in the late 60s, early 70s, they raced pro stock in the in local area and a modified production. That's how I got hooked, right? And I'd go to the U.S. Nationals every year with them, and then as I got to be a teenager and stuff, I always went on my own every year, right? And I camped across the street at the drive-in and because I had no money, you know. And <laughs> and I'd go up and see, get a T-shirt from Mary Morrison and, and an autograph from Lee Shepard and Bob Glidden and and Bill Jenkins and all those guys were my heroes. Co-stock was for, for me from day one, you know what I mean? I just had the love for it, you know. And to go to Indy and see those guys and to meet those guys and then eventually working with them. We've worked with Bob in the past and David Rear and Bruce Allen built cars for them and they won quite a few races with our cars. It's been real surreal for me and it's like, really? You know, this this has happened to me. And most of the time I don't have this time to stop and think about that. Yeah. You know, but I was just a very unfortunate, uh, for, I was just fortunate enough to, to come along at the right time and to be successful at it, but what's what's helped more than anything is is a lot of drive and hard work and never and I've been knocked down so many times and I just keep up just get back up and keep charging you know and uh, if you want to do it you can do it if you just work hard enough at it 
That's it. The uh, the famed uh, the famed shortened version of that advice is just be too dumb to give up. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. That's me. It's not an easy business doing this, and that's for sure. Car building is extremely difficult, and it's hard to keep up with the rules. And you know, because everybody's like got good. You know, it's like hey, your car is hot now, and it might not be in a year or two and stuff. So to keep up with everything and keep up with the demanding business and having your cars go fast and tune them in the race. It's a lot for anybody that, um, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Well, Rick, congratulations on uh, the continued success of both the business uh, off the racetrack and on it. I look forward to seeing you, uh, in less than 90 days now at the Gator nationals. That's the plan anyway. Yeah, Brian, thank you. And, um, have a great Christmas and great holidays. And I hope everybody out there stays safe and, and, um, get through the winter so we can put this whole COVID thing behind us and let's move forward and go back to doing what we love to do. Amen to that. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. Rick Jones, truly a great guy with a great story. And I think uh, so many times we talk to race car builders uh, in this industry and in, in drag racing, and it's a, their stories are similar in so many ways. We, A lot of the great chassis builders did not wake up one morning when they were 12 years old and say, I want to be a chassis builder. It's something that they found a passion for in their own lives, and they were so good at it locally that they were able to start working on the side, maybe doing jobs at night, maybe doing jobs uh, on the weekends to make a little extra money. And all of a sudden, those nights and weekends turned into a small business, which in the case of Rick Jones has turned into one of the premier chassis building operations in the entire sport. So always really cool to highlight those stories, kind of get the inside information. And it is amazing that the guy has a year long backlog of builds in his shop, or I should say in process, working through them in his shop. Really great stuff. And uh, certainly they're going to try to go for three in a row in 2021. Elite Motorsports will be restocked with talent as well. Of course, Troy Coughlin Jr. stepping in for Jake. We're going to continue on the Pro Stock theme here, and I mentioned at the beginning of the show that I've been doing these kind of musical compilations looking back over the course of the year. Well, it's time to do the one for Pro Stock, this one being uh, the backing track here, Martha and the Vandellas, Nowhere to Run, Nowhere to Hide. Jason Line, pre-stage in the Summit Racing Equipment Chevrolet Camaro. How fitting to kick off our 2020 season with these two old Lions getting ready to throw down to start us off. Jason Line is 018 on the Christmas tree. Jake Coughlin's 027, and at the finish line stripe, it's Coughlin. And here she is, the Melling Performance Chevrolet Camaro and the Strutmaster Chevrolet Camaro with Bo Butner. Identical reaction last year. And Eric Anders begins to put a gap on Bo Butner. 6.531 seconds at 210 miles an hour. A brutal 60-foot time. She got the, the best of him in that early part of the racetrack and stretch. Jason Line, 017. Jet Coughlin is 022 on the Christmas tree as they get to the finish line. Stripe, it's Jason Line. 6.647 at 207.21 miles an hour. Split screen. In car with Troy Jr. Rooftop with Jag, and we're going to listen to 500 cubic inch engines at 10,000 RPM right about now. Troy Jr. has problems immediately. Jake Coughlin Jr. has absolutely done the 84th national event victory of his career. Harper stage. Here comes Double E. Double E's 009. Matt Harper's 026. It is going right to the stripe, and it's Erica Enders. 6606, 208, 55. Who cares about 2019? It's victory in 2020. 
It's Laughlin with a better reaction time. Stanfield's car shakes the tires, and it's going to be Alex Laughlin roaring to a Gator Nationals victory. A 7.06, 8 at 204 miles an hour. They both shook the tires, but Laughlin had the wherewithal to gather it up first. Green, both sides of the tree. A hundredth of a second different. Advantage, Erica. Taking it down to the stripe. That's going to be enough. 6.57 for the win. It was 6.58. Erica left first and outran him. 6.572, 208.49. Hartford is 18 to Greg Anderson's 066 line. Anderson trying to pull up next to him. They get to the finish line, and it's Hartford on a whole shot again. 6.62.5 beats a 6.58.8. His wife goes nuts. Eddie Granaccia goes nuts. And Matt Hartford is losing his mind inside that car, whether he looks like it or not. He's looking... Aaron Stanfield, 24 in the tree. The unshakable Jed Coughlin was 015 on the tree. And it's Aaron Stanfield, 653.5, 211 miles an hour. Well, he has eight hundredths of a second. He's 002. Jason Line is looking at the finish line, striping. He loses on a whole shot. Erica Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. The immediacy of the emotion overwhelming Erica at the top end, and I am speechless. We talked about six hundredths of a second. He found eight goes double on the tree. I mean, I don't think Erica saw it coming, and none of us saw it coming, and we thought maybe as the race played out, obviously Erica was in the lead, but no one expected it to go down in round number one like it just did. An absolutely stunning, stunning finish in Pro Stock for Jason Lyons Day. We talked about the situation with Jack Beckman and Funny Car, and it is Christian Quadra with a 002 reaction time finishing the job for Erica Enders. The second level of this battle, of course, KB Racing horsepower for Kyle Koretsky. Elite Motorsports horsepower for Erica Henders. Koretsky has been in the final round before. Back in 2009 in Charlotte in competition eliminator. He made the final round there. He came up short. This is his first professional final round. The last pass of 2020 in Pro Stock Eliminator. And it comes with a bit of a waiting game. Erica goes in first. Kyle Koretsky goes 051 red. Erica Anders, who has seen a red light or two over the course of this year and has been emotionally crushed by it. Oh, and you can see her with her championship hat on up here, Brian and Erica. On a day that you pick up the championship, you're holding the event, Wally, as well, right here at a track that you love. What will be your leading memory today? Being able to walk up our fourth world championship and become the winningest of all time for females. Um, Shirley Muldowney and Andre mean an awful lot to me, and I'm in good company with them. I want to tell my teammate and my buddy, Angie Smith, congratulations. She is awesome. She's kicking some butt, but... For my team, and for Melly, for Gallagher, for Transportation Impact, I've not had the best year, and uh, we questioned if we deserved this, but this is a lesson that you dig deep and you fight, you play with all the heart that you have every single chance you get, because you never know when it's your last, but I want to thank the Las Vegas Racetrack and the fans here. This place has been amazing to me.
And that is a look back over the course of the 2020 Pro Stock season. What a fun year it was in that category, and uh, certainly one that provided just tons and tons of incredible action over the course of the year. You heard the final rounds there. We also played that first-round matchup between Jason Line and a young Mr. Quadra that actually locked down the title for Erica. It was a seminal moment over the course of the 2020 season. We'll be back next week with another pre-Christmas edition of the NHRA Insider Podcast. We love making these shows. i got to thank Rick Jones for taking the time out of his day to talk to us. An insightful interview, a really good guy, and somebody whose talent has been uh, has been utilized in so many ways in the sport of drag racing. The chassis components he develops that he sells individually are on thousands of race cars across the country. Of course, the race cars he builds competes at the highest level of door slam or drag racing, and his pro-stock tuning acumen that he has and the work that he does in the category is certainly... Uh, recognized by the best in the business. I'm Brian Loans. I appreciate your time listening to the NHRA Insider. As I said, we love making these shows and we love turning them out for you week after week. We got one more episode coming before we turn the page on 2020, and it's going to be a fun one next week. So make sure you come back and check it out on Christmas week. Thanks, everybody. Be safe. We'll be back at you here soon on the NHRA Insider Podcast. <laughs>